Welcome back to episode 10 of an Irish Simpsons chat show, Keen McGrath back here again and this week I'm delighted to be joined by Gary Maloney. Gary, welcome. How are you doing Keen? So for anyone who's um, not sure, Gary writes comics, a, a Corkman in exile in Dublin and a part of the Limit Break Comic Collective. Gary, comics, it, it's its such a broad medium. Do you want to give a small insight maybe into, into your work in comics? Yeah, so so I, I, I write comics, uh, mainly kind of self-published or small press comics at the moment. Uh, it's something I've been doing on a regular basis since 2018 when I published my first uh, anthology of short stories, uh, Mixtape. Uh, and comics like comics were something I was always uh, a part of. It's always something that I've, I've enjoyed. I grew up reading things like Sonic the Comic, uh, the UK Panini reprints of the Marvel and DC stuff, like Astonishing Spider-Man. Uh, and there's always... And as you're growing up, you you see a lot of uh, different kind of kinds of comics. So you you go from reading those stuff to you read V for Vendetta, you discover manga and all that stuff. And it was always a medium I really really enjoyed uh, from what I could do from a storytelling perspective. Uh, and I'd always been in, and I'd always been writing in some shape or form, uh, whether that was prose, poetry, scripts, what have you. Uh, but and, but I always wanted to do stuff with comics as well. Uh, so so for years, what would would happen is that. Uh, I got a job, one of my kind of side gigs during college was I was getting uh, gigs writing uh, reviews and commentaries uh, for comics. Uh, so that kind of really helped me figure out, okay, breaking down, well, in, in comic you like, uh, what, what, what makes them work? Uh, what, what is it about this comic that you're reading that hits you on an emotional level and on a craft level, what's going on there that, help, that is making it fire in all cylinders? And also the opposite, like when a comic doesn't work, uh, why why does it fail? Is it if it's if its pacing is off, what is it about how it's been constructed that made it an issue? Uh, so then when I moved to Dublin, uh, the the, the Dublin comic scene and the Irish comic scene as a whole is really really quite strong, uh, but particularly so in in Dublin and in Cork as, as well. But uh, in Dublin when I moved up, I finally met people who were putting out comics on a local level, uh, and I met a lot of the both the Irish local creators and the Irish uh, pro creators. And uh, they were encouraging me, saying like, you know, clearly you got you've got a head for stories, like you can do a thing. Like maybe you should try actually try writing comics. And it's something I'd always been kind of talking about or thinking about. And eventually, one of the lads was like, well, you just have to put your money where your mouth is and just actually start writing it, uh, which is great advice, you know, because once you stop thinking about something and actually start doing it, uh, you'd be surprised how much you can get done. So I kind of started like you. They say start start small with all these things. So I started with kind of four page contained stories. Uh, I set myself a goal of basically doing one of those a month. Uh, so writing it, uh, getting an artist to draw it up, and then posting it on, on, web, on the web, on, on Twitter and uh, Tumblr at the time, uh, before Tumblr went the way of the dodo. And uh, yeah, I just kept putting those up on a monthly basis. And after six months, lo and behold, I had enough for collection. Uh, so I was able to, I, I really decided I was going to, to make an effort to try and uh, create comics at Small Press Day 2017, and I was able to launch my first book at Small Press Day 2018. So, yeah, it was like starting small and just kind of chipping away on it for that year. For people who mightn't realise or mightn't have thought about it to an extent, comics obviously involves a writer and an artist. And how different is the dynamic in terms of delivering your vision or your, a story when you've got two people working on it than compared to something like a, a book or an article? Well, it's not. It, sometimes it's even more than two people. Like, uh, it's... It's a writer, it's an artist, uh, it can be a colorist, uh, but also a letterer. Uh, so the person who actually do, does the lettering on it. So uh, 
uh, comics is great because comics is all about collaboration. Uh, so, and each person is adding who's working in the comic, whether it's an artist, a letter, or a colorist, uh, or anything like that. They're all adding something to it as well. Uh, so, really, what because comics is a visual me- medium, when I'm writing a script, I'm telling my story to the artist, uh, and then the, the artist tells our our story. So I t- have to tell the story to the artist to begin with, but then nobody really sees what I write, the script I write. It's not a, it's not made to be something that's a comic script is not made to be something to be read in isolation generally. It's something to be interpreted by an artist. And what I I prefer to do is before I start working on a script that I know the artist I'm working with, uh, and we have a talk about it about what they like drawing, what they don't like drawing, so that uh, tends to be like. I don't like drawing crowds, so maybe don't put in a crowd scene because that takes some ages to do. Uh, or they don't like drawing cars or whatever. But like, it's it's about uh, collaboration. So it's finding out what they like, what they they don't like. So I try to tailor my script for them. Uh, and then once I've told them the story, they tell the world the story because it's ultimately their their pictures that, combined with say the words, once I once the letters come in, is what the public, the reader, ends up actually seeing. Uh, so it's a great teamwork e- effort, and it's like everyone's playing off each other. So I send the script off to the artist, the artist sends it back to me, uh, and from seeing what the artist has done, I might decide that, oh, wait, I no longer need that line of dialogue because this picture says it all. So I can chop, because when I when I get the art back, I'll normally do another pass on the script for dialogue to tweak it to make so 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 it better fits the art. Uh, so if it's a question of either I don't need, need to have that line of dialogue or I can tweak it slightly, it can be shortened, does, does again, artists have things, then the colorist can add a lot of tone and mood to it. So say I do write a lot of crime comics, uh, the artist might decide to have a very oppressive mood and put that, that kind of a tone o- over it. Or say if it's more of a comedy thing, you might have a more lighter tone in, in the colors. Uh, and the same thing with the letter lettering. The lettering can be very kind of like to the point and straightforward when you want to do something that is say grounded in reality and then you can be playing around with it a bit more if it's something that's more kind of fantastical or anything. Uh, so that's that's part of the reasons why I like comics compared to prose because prose is like prose is like the interaction you have is between the writer who writes something that is made to be read directly by the reader and then the reader interprets that entirely. Whereas there are so much more people who are involved in the storytelling process in comics. Uh, obviously there's the, all the members of the team but then obviously the reader themselves, because comics is about capturing frozen moments in time. And the only movement that happens is what happens in the reader's mind between panels. So the reader is doing some of that, that image. So like that, that, that's part of the reason why I like it. That it's such a kind of a team effort and you're all working together to present this strange, strange story, storytelling that is comics. For people who mightn't have uh, seen too much of your work i mean one of the pieces that i particularly enjoyed was uh, how do i look i know it's your pinned tweet so if anyone wants to go have a, a look at it i um i couldn't encourage them to do so enough and i suppose one of the things that kind of blew me away to an extent is when i first opened it i was kind of saying oh it's only you know however many pages long um do you work on these stories with the kind of shorter um length in mind you know in terms of the story development or does that really come from from the artist Hey, uh, so for that, when it comes to the shorter form stuff, uh, I like working in short shorter form because it allows me to scratch uh, itches a lot easier. 
as in I can just get and just get something out. Uh, if I feel like I want to write a crime story this week, I can write a four or five page crime story and then work with an artist to get it out out there in a reasonable in a reasonable frame of time. Uh, a lot of I and I started small because I think it's important. A lot of people start off when they're writing comics or when they want to make comics, saying I'm going to write this thirty or forty issue epic. Uh, but there's a number of problems with that. One, you're unlikely to get a publisher who's going to say yes, of course, we believe in your vision so much. You person who's never written a comic in your life before, here's thirty issues. Uh, go off and do what you will. Uh, so like you have to start small, and they like they will be starting with kind of shorter stories. Uh, and a lot of the ways into the industry or into working in comics professionally is with shorter stories. So it was about me starting off when I was do- deciding I was going to do shorter stories was one about exploring those different kind of genres I, I wanted to explore, uh, but also honing my craft and failing in public to a large extent. So, okay, if I'm doing four pages this month, uh, I might do the, I'm, I might not, they might not be perfect, but at least they're done, they're out there and people can give me feedback on them and then I can make the next four pages even better. Uh, so while like and that's the way I focus for a lot of the stuff that I've been putting out myself. Uh, I'm working with various uh, different artists at the moment on on various pitches and various uh, serialized stuff that would be longer. Uh, but I'm only able to do that. I'm only focusing on doing that now because I feel like I've learned a lot of stuff from doing the short form narratives. That I feel confident enough that now that I'm given the space, or if I'm given the space to do a longer story, that I know the the language and the techniques and the craft of making comics a bit better than I did when I started. So that, and I learned that through the shorter stuff. Uh, so, and there's there's also like the economics element to it that it's a lot easier for me to afford to put together a four page comic than it would be a twenty page comic. Uh, and it also they they act as portfolio pieces. Uh, so yeah, I'm working on longer stuff at the moment. I'd love to do some longer stuff. Uh, but I just re- I actually really just enjoy, enjoy doing short form comics as well because I just think there's a lot of of opportunity for experimenting uh, with those shorter form works. Yeah, and I suppose just when you said there about um you know for for when you were getting going and that up those opportunities weren't weren't there for you and won't be there for other people. And you mentioned earlier about how you posted things on Tumblr and you still do on Twitter. For people who are looking to get going now, is there anywhere in particular they should be looking that you could advise in terms of communities or places that they could not only post their um, comics, but also maybe get a bit of advice and, and things like that? Well, Twitter is always great for that. Uh, comics people love Twitter. Uh, there's a strong Twitter communi- community for comics. So like, if you put up a four-page comic and you tag it hashtag free comics or whatever, uh, people will find that people will share it, uh, and if you ask for feedback, people will give it to you. Uh, and I think that's a, a great way to start. Uh, in terms of places that people can go to get like a more formalized feedback or get started, uh, there's a number of groups that would be quite useful uh, for people who were based in Cork. Uh, there's the Cork Comic Creators Group on Facebook. Uh, that I started off first with them, and they helped me out a lot when I was getting started. And I'm still friendly with a lot of those guys there. Uh, they have a, the Facebook group. Uh, is 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 one that is open enough so you can just join that say hi i'm an artist or hi i'm a writer uh i'm looking to get started drawing to getting started in comics uh can you help me out can you point me in the right direction what do i need to be knowing and when we were allowed to have physical events the core comic creators always had a monthly meetup in comic books uh inside in town and they, at that meeting it would just be people would come together they'd have a chat 
they say what they're working on, uh, but they'd also do workshops. So one person would come up and say, this is, we're going to do a workshop now on dialogue, or we're going to do a workshop on framing or anything like that. Uh, there's also a lot of free resources out there, so a lot of classes online. Uh, the comics script archive is out there, so if people are either look, wanting to know what a script looks like, uh, if you put in comic scripts archive into Google, it'll come up. But also if you're just looking to start off with, with drawing and you want to work from a script, those are there as well. And people will be, be happy enough to, to help, help you out. Like, like there's a lot of Irish creators in comics, uh, but professionally at the small press level. And if you reach out to any of us, we're always happy enough to, to help out and send you in, in the right direction. Uh, so there's, there's like an, an awful lot of ways to start off. Uh, if people are looking for to pick up something that will help them a bit more, uh, Scott Mc, uh, McLeod put out a book years ago called Understanding Comics. And that's a graphic novel about the language of, of comics and what it is that makes it special as a medium. So that's normally considered up there as one of the kind of the or text of stuff that you should be looking at when you're starting to make comics so that you understand it a bit better. Uh, but it's easy, to, like I think the best bet is just to start small and start actually making comics. If you can draw, even if you can't draw, start working towards four, four page short stories those sort of things and getting them out there and being willing to fail in, in public and being willing to take the criticism and the advice that's given to you based on those those pages is the most important thing. Uh, but there's there's plenty of resources out there for people to do that and I've definitely put people toward people who are typically cork based uh, to get in contact with the Cork Comic Creators Crowd. Yeah, that's absolutely fantastic um, for, for people looking for a bit more information. And I suppose just before we move into the, the second half, you're, for people listening who mightn't be aware, you're actually the second um, founder of the UCC Simpson Society that we've had on, which was a fact I wasn't actually aware of when I invited you on in the first place. So um, after Rob Sullivan's uh, appearance, Gary, you're, you're the second um, second on. And I just wanted to, to wonder if you could give a little maybe insight into your involvement in the society. Oh, God. like So my involvement with the society began with Rob and Colm Callan coming to me because at the time I was working I was I'm UCC alumni uh, as well and I was at the time I was working in the society's office uh and they came to me because they needed a financial officer so at the time in order to be able to apply for a society you had to have three guaranteed members on committee I think you needed your chairperson you needed your rec sec and you needed a financial officer uh, and they didn't have a financial officer. And so I was doing my master's at the time, so I wasn't going to have a lot of time to actually be involved actively in the society. But I said, Gary, you're a massive Simpsons fan. You're, you're, we know you. We know you're you're good for these sort of things. Uh, would you be the financial officer? And the reason I remember, I remember like the reason that it came about, because it was always joking, jokes that, oh, we'll make a Simpsons society. Because uh, you'd be hanging out with the lads and uh, there'd be a lot of talk that was not wholly Simpsons related but like there you the amount of quotes that are being thrown in at philosophical debates that were simpsons related or stemmed from jokes in the simpsons was was more than a little funny uh so i remember and but for years it was never going to happen because there was a rule against there being single interest societies uh, and then the year previously uh, the harry potter society got approved and that led to, as a joke, again, people were saying, oh, maybe we should make a Simpsons Society. And then Colm, if I recall correctly, uh, took up the charge in that one. I was like, no, I'm actually going to go to the effort of actually filling out the forms, finding my members, 
and actually making the application. And the application once having gone in with Harry Potter Society being there, it was hard for them to say no. So they said yes, and it was actually quite a successful year. Uh, I remember there was a team up with the Economic Society because there was uh, an economist from Stanford had come along and he'd written a book called Homer Economicus, which was about the economics of the Simpsons and what the Simpsons could teach you about economics. Similar enough to that Simpsons and Philosophy book that people keep talking about. Uh, and there was so I remember so there was a team up for that. There's all these different viewings. Yeah, and it was like it was a bit of crack and it was a, it was a it was a joke that we probably took too far. But it seems to have paid off because, as far as I know, that society is still there. Yeah, it's it's. I've just finished my my final year in UCC, and they're still trucking along. As far as I can tell, they're they'll be around for another year. So that makes it what if they were starting in twenty sixteen, going into their fifth year. Go, that that's fair going. Like I mean, the creators of Simpsons didn't think it would last five years either. Yeah, and there's plenty. And look, of here we are, like thirty that. years later. Yeah, and there's there's plenty of things like that that have fallen by the wayside a lot quicker. So I suppose with that, Gary, that's been an absolutely fantastic chat and a great insight into not just Irish comics and the Irish comic scene, but I mean comics generally for anyone interested. So um, with that, um, that's the end of part one. And after I give Gary a quick break, we'll uh, be back in part two to discuss um Gary's choice of episode, which is season six, episode five, Sideshow Bob Roberts. Convicted of a crime I didn't even commit. <laughs> attempted murder. Now, honestly, what is that? Do they give a Nobel Prize for attempted chemistry, do they? Oh, really? Now, this is a personal call. Three or six-term mayor. The illiterate, tax-cheating, wife-swapping, pot-smoking, spendocrat, diamond Jew Quimby. Hey, I am no longer illiterate. Very well. If that is the way the winds are blowing, let no one say I don't also blow. And now to open the, this year's festivities, here's our Grand Marshal, the Prophet of Love. Welcome back to part two, Keen back again with uh, Gary. And as I said before the break, we had a, a slightly longer break than I was expecting there, Gary. But we're back. Um, we, uh, Gary chose season six, episode five, Sideshow Bob Roberts. Which isn't an episode that I remember too clearly, but for people who, like me, don't remember, it's it's the episode where Sideshow Bob runs for mayor against Mayor Quimby. And I suppose, first and foremost, uh, Gary, is why did you shoot this episode? I'm a massive politics junkie, and I'm also a massive political drama, political comedy fan. So, like, things like The West Wing, The Thick of It, Veep, like, I, I Yes Minister, I love that stuff. Uh, so for me, this was always a memorable episode. It was always an episode I enjoyed. But as you, I was, I would rewatch Simpsons over the years. The skewering this episode has of the American political system and the American electoral system in particular, I think is fantastic. And of course, as well, the first half is very much a, a skewering, a parody, a satire of American politics and elections in general. And then the second half goes into a parody of all the president's men about voter fraud and all of that. So it's always been an episode I enjoy. I think I think it's a very a very topical episode because one uh, we have the U.S. presidential election this year. Uh, two uh, Riverdale is now a hit TV series on Netflix. Uh, and this episode features cameos by the Archie Comics Riverdale gang. Uh, that would have been. Would have been seen out of date even at the time, but 
but now has somehow come around, become relevant again. Because I have no doubt that any Irish person growing up in the late 90s when they, were, when they would have showed this episode would have no idea who Archie and the Riverdale gang were. were. But they now do because of that terrible, terribly terrible, but also brilliant TV show on Netflix. Uh, that's like the OC meets Twin Peaks. Uh, so yeah, it was like, when I saw it, I was like, and saw it, I was like okay, we have to talk about this episode just because of the year that's in it. Uh, the fact that I think it's a brilliant episode as a whole that does some really, really cool and interesting political satire, uh, but also the fact that there's there, there's this sort of like weird thing where it's become relevant. Some of the jokes that would have been out of date have now become relevant again. Yeah, and I suppose for someone, like, like I said beforehand, I hadn't actually watched this episode in, I'd say, years, maybe only seen it once or twice, but there was bits that definitely stuck in my mind. But, like you said, the the satire, and I was looking beforehand in the Wikipedia of um, cultural references, and usually in The Simpsons, you know, it's one or two paragraphs, and here it's four big, thick, long paragraphs. There's just so much that we could talk for hours about the ins and outs of it, but they satirize just so many massive events in um, U.S. politics, and I suppose a lot of those can reflect generally the the very basic politicians are corrupt joke, going into more detailed things about you know the Watergate scandal and even referencing a number of um ads used by um let's say your George H W Bush, and there's just so much. Yeah, the revolving so, door prison one. That's a that's a Bush ad. Yeah, and even there's like a reference where um Mayor Quimby has a a flu, I think. That's a reference to when Nixon had a, a cold and sweated throughout the debate, and it was said that that really cost him um, points back when I suppose those debates would have been... Um, yeah, that's huge. the famous debate where they... That, the te- very famous televised debate between Nixon and JFK, where people who listened to the radio said Nixon won, but anyone who was watching on TV uh, saw the charisma that was JFK, and now we know, of course, that he was womanising and all that, that jazz, right? But it was one of the, that that's one of the kind of like key parodies here is that is that debate and they have it here where I think I think the line is from Quimby's like I shouldn't have shook in the hands of all those old people and that was another thing when I was watching going ooh ooh that hits a bit too hard now at the moment yeah. given given what's happened in the last uh, three or four months. Yeah, uh, uh, absolutely. Uh, I think I I was very brought brought to mind of um, Trump saying recently that he wasn't he saying I shook everyone's hand and I am totally okay and all this sort of stuff. So yeah, no, yeah. you're dead. But right that was Bolsonaro as well. <laughs> yeah, Bolsonaro well as well, of course. Yeah, I suppose before we go into because we probably will or not we probably will, we will end up talking about the kind of um deeper parts of the episode. But I suppose for people who who aren't so familiar with the episode, um, the quick general over overview of the episode is that um there's a public. Um, rally by a right wing radio host to say they want uh, Sideshow Bob released from prison because uh, he goes through a number of kind of dog whistles and that kind of right wing radio host back then and I suppose in my childhood as well wouldn't have been as prevalent to me but I suppose with the kind of way things like YouTube and Facebook are going your Ben Shapiro's and guys like that of the world are definitely having more of a I don't say more of an effect but they're they're more widely available, certainly to a lot of people. These kind of right-wing U.S. propaganda guys. So there was a, that that was something that really kind of I thought that has aged very well. That reference and when yeah. Sideshow Bob is released, he, he runs for mayor against um Quimby, which was actually this episode gave me the first insight that I I had never realized Quimby was actually a Democrat, and that kind of again something that's um aged pretty well of being a good joke of to an extent his incompetence and his uh going with the the the, the tides, you know um. Yeah, I think yeah, the line he has is that, shatter. well, if that is the way the wind is blowing, let it not be say, I do not also blow. Exactly. I think that, that was the line. I was, I was actually going to Google it, and you've saved me the Google. It's it's quite a good 
and a well-aged satire of the Democrat Party, Democratic Party in the US. It's 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 really good. And then obviously in in the episode, Sideshow Bob goes on to win the election, and it is Bart and Lisa with the help of uh, Wayland Smithers who find out that Bob rigged the election by not only getting the dead people to vote for him, but also every single dead pet in the pet cemetery had also voted for him. Um, Even which, Snowball won. Yes, and Lisa shouts, you made it personal. So I think that's a it's a it's a really, really enjoyable episode in terms of, I say it every week, but how much they managed to cram into that 22 minutes. Yeah, I think it's in, it's in the first minute or so where we're introduced to Birch Barlow, who is the, the Rush Limbaugh parody they have in this episode. Uh, and of course now, as you said, it's, it's very pressing. You've got people like Ben Shapiro. Uh, Alex Jones is the guy, I think, more so recently that I would compare Birch Barlow to. But also, I think it's it's great. The, the slogan that the radio station has is no sports, no rock, no information for mindless chatter. We're your station. And it's like something that News Talk would run these days. Uh, it's just like, and his character is great. He's because he's like this proper like right wing guy who is is trying to drum up all this outrage and all this is hate. Uh, he's like, you know, good morning, freedom likers. Uh, people like there's these dirty Democrats in power at the moment. Uh and he talks about like how he how Quimby's corrupt. He's like, you know, it's our sixth time mayor corrupt, uh, pot smoking, wife swapping, illiterate mayor Joe Quimby. And Quimby just turns around and goes, "Hey, I am no longer illiterate." As he's there watering a pot plant, <laughs> like it. I think I think his character is particularly great uh, when it comes to the debate that happens, the debate that's based on the JFK Nixon debate, because he asks, uh, he asks a softball to to Bob. He's like, you know, oh, like, you know, this councilman, Les Wyden, is is saying that, you know, you're not you're not you're not tough enough on this thing. What do you have to say about that? He's like, well I think that Les Wyden should do more legislating and less whining. Uh, and then he goes to to Quimby and he's like, you know, he sets up this really, really dark sort of you think it's gonna be a question about like, you know, this perception that the Democrats aren't uh, tough on crime. He's like, you know, we know you're meant to be having a very liberal stance on crime. But what if it was your family locked in the basement? You tried to open up the door, but there's too much blood on it. And he's like, sorry, what's your question here? He's like, oh, my question's about the budget set. Yeah, it's a really, really great um, insight into that. The, the, the whole episode has a great kind of air of a really strong political satire. And like we say, it just does, it hasn't aged. You know, it, it's so fantastic. It could be an episode that, Obviously, it wouldn't have been released now because of the way that The Simpsons has gone in the recent years. Zombie Simpsons, as it's referred to. Yeah. But I think it's it's just been a... You could watch this episode now and have the same laugh, the same joke to an extent, whether with, with like, your kind of charismatic... And it, they make a point of, you know, Bob is backstage with his sour face and his lip out and his kind of his puss on his face, as an Irish person might say. And then he comes onto stage with his charisma and his big smile. And, it, you know, it, as the Republican candidates can go... I don't think we can see someone more like that than someone like Donald Trump who comes out and tries his best to be charismatic and controversial. And it's just, it's really fantastic. And I think one of the funniest parts for me was reading that Kelsey Grammer, who voices Sideshow Bob, is a really strong Republican who has recently, I think last year, voiced his aspiration to run for president or mayor of New York City. And I just like to imagine him saying all these lines and not maybe not quite understanding the character he was portraying. Yeah, I only found that out about Kelsey Grammer quite recently as well, uh, which is so shocking because there there are lines here where they're pretty they're pretty hard. Like 
I, I remember seeing someone at one point try to say that this this uh, this episode equally lampoons both sides of the political divide in the US. Uh, well, it, clear, it clearly doesn't. The, the Republicans get an absolute doing this episode. The Republican Party headquarters is in Dracula's castle. Uh, and in fact, there is a vampire actually on the committee that selects Bob to be the candidate for mayor. Uh, and, and like it, it's, it kind of clearly is like hammering home this idea that the Republicans are literally blood-sucking parasites. Uh, and like you even look at the other people who are members of that of that panel that eventually select Bob to be mayor. Uh, you have a rich Texan. Uh, you have Rainier Wolfcastle, who's obviously our Arnie knockoff, who we know is a uh, massive Republican supporter, was a Republican governor for years. Uh, there's the blue-haired lawyer. So again, the idea that, you know, the kind of rich uh, corporate lawyer types would be likely to, to support the Republicans. Uh, you strangely look Dr. Hibbert, Hibbert which I, I read that as being, there's always one person amongst your wider friend group who you find out is a conservative. And it's always surprising to find out which one it is. Uh, and then, of course, the chairman is is Burns himself, uh, who is your classical representation of what is uh, what a Republican is, as in a rich person who doesn't really care about uh, helping others or help, helping the poor. Uh, and it's, it's funny because I think there's an earlier episode in season two where uh, Mr. Burns actually runs for governor of whatever state Springfield is meant to be in. I think that's a really fantastic, like, it, it's it's such a uh, kind of on-the-nose joke, but you're Inside of Dr. Hibbert was not something I really thought about. I thought they were just kind of, you know, lobbing someone into the back room. Um, but no, it is actually a great one. Like you said, there is always that kind of, what did they call them in the last election? The shy Trump voters, you know, yeah. those guys who, um, I don't want to say normal, because I don't want to dissuade anyone from the podcast, but mm. people who come across as totally, um, let's say, default. You know, yeah. just that they wouldn't have any sort of opinion like that. And Dr. Hibbert is sitting there across from, like, say, Rainier Wolfcastle. And I'm not sure if it's Dracula or Nosferatu, but some vampire who's literally drinking blood that's served to him in a martini glass. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's a really, really, like, and I think, isn't there the joke that um, it lines up, uh, we've introduced your uh, Republican candidate for mayor, and it's the water cooler, and then Bob steps out. They've all applauded the water cooler. So, like, it, it's... They've um, all applauded the water cooler, and then Bob steps out, and Rainer Rukas goes, yes, I like the human touch. <laughs> it's it's really, a really, like you said, the, the idea of Kelsey Grammer being pitched this, I presume as, an, as a voice actor, and an actor, he probably didn't. Uh, he's he's got he's a professional and all that. But I do find it quite funny that someone, if someone was kind of a moderate conservative, but the fact he's got aspirations of running for president and is pretty, I think he's um, got some reasonably liberal views, but also some fairly not. From what I could read, um, yeah. But that was a, a very quick glance on Wikipedia. But you even uh, look at the way Bob's final speech when, yeah, there's this weird thing in the episode where they're going through the conspiracy and they go through the whole of the of the All the President's Men parody with Smithers playing this deep trotes character who tells them to find Edgar Neubauer to follow the names because Lisa goes to check the names on the list of voters because apparently it's not a secret ballot and all the, the names are available. Uh, and I think that's actually the first time you get the uh, the long-running catchphrase of meh is when, someone at, when Lisa asks about the secret ballot. Uh, and it gets to the point where eventually they discover the fraud and Bar- uh, Bart and Lisa have Bob in court. And I was wondering, like, how did it, wh- what's actually going on there? Uh, and it's more, it's, o- I think it's only upon watching it this time, looking at, there's the judge there, uh, there's a couple of people either side of him, and then obviously there's Lionel Hutz, who's prosecuting. So I read it now that that must be an impeachment hearing, as opposed to just a normal court hearing, because 
what are they charging him with exactly and who's the prosecutor and all that jazz. These are the kind of things you think about uh, when you do a law degree and realise that any legal drama or legal comedy is ruined for you forever because you'll always be thinking about that's not how it's meant to be, that's not how it should work. Uh, but I, now I, I think that it's an actually it's meant to be an impeach, impeachment hearing. It makes a lot more sense. Uh, but then he, but when they finally catch him out, he does the full a few good men speech, where he's like, you know, you want the truth, you can't handle the truth, and then he he justifies himself like because you need me, Springfield. You know, your your guilty conscience may force you to vote for Democrat, but deep down you want a cold-hearted Republican to lower taxes and rule you like a king. Like there's no subtlety there, so. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, in terms of like that, like we said, the Kelsey Grammar angle is, is born. Yeah. And just when you mentioned the meh there, um, according to IMDb and Wikipedia anyway, that, that phrase meh used in the show, it was the first time that that word was used, or sorry, not used perhaps, but popularized. And in the Collins English Dictionary, Simpsons is credited with the, the kind of founding or the, the popularization of that phrase, which blew my mind. I, I would have thought meh was a very... um kind of natural human sound to make but according to quote wikipedia which as we all as we know like you said as as a as lawyers is the most uh, accurate of resources <laughs> at all times it is suggested that and according to the Collins English dictionary which it is cited on wikipedia that phrase is, is comes from the simpsons which is i mean from all the cultural touchstones the simpsons has it's a fairly um wide ranging and bizarre one that that is because that's just a a word now it, everyone uses it it's like meh like do you want something eh, you know meh yeah. I, I would have thought it was that kind of it's just kind of half blown my mind when I read that earlier, so it's something I wanted to, to put in. But yeah, the the impeachment hearing that you say, I, I, I would agree with you, I think it's it's dead on. And when you said about, as a lawyer, you can watch these kind of uh, trials on television and in films, and look at the realism. There's actually, for anyone who's interested as a Simpsons fan, a really great YouTuber, um, he, I think his channel might be Legal Eagle, it's something like that, but he does, he's a lawyer who reviews the... Uh, I know your man, yeah. The, the court proceedings is, and there's actually one of the Simpsons, I'm not sure exactly which trial it is, but one of the Lionel Hutz trials is, is done on his show, and it's a really fantastic show. He's I really, really Lionel enjoyable. Hutz um, so yeah, Lionel Hutz, I think Lionel Hutz asks him, uh, Mr. Um, Mr. Sideshow Bob, did you do this? And Josh says, no. And he says, uh, kids, uh, help. Kids, <laughs> so help. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a very, it's a, another, Lionel Hutz is always fantastic in whatever episode. Um, he has two happens. lines in this episode, and he's still, re- like, Phil Hartman, God bless him, the man gave it his all for those two lines, like, uh, and Lionel Hutz, yeah. like, just any scene he appears in, I'm just like, oh, Lionel. Well, I suppose, moving on, and while we're talking about Lionel Hutz and talking about characters, do you mind, if you, if you need a second to think, Gary, who's your favourite Simpsons character? I think Rob O'Sullivan set me up for this one, because uh, I think he knew I was coming on, and he kindly left Lionel Hutz for me, uh, so I'm going to have to say Lionel Hutz. Because not that one would it should ever aspire to be like Lionel Hutz in how they conduct their their business dealings, but I've always enjoyed uh, just I think he's one of the most quotable characters around the place. Uh, and of course, there's the tragedy of of what happened to Phil Hartman uh, meant that he wasn't in it after after a while. Uh, but the the bits that he's in it, and there there's rarely an episode that actually focuses around Hutz himself. He's always this kind of guy off the side. But there's always at least one line that's an absolute zinger. Like, the one that I always remember is that Mr. is like, uh, Homer comes to him uh, w- with a problem and he goes, Mr. Simpson, this is the worst case of false advertising I've ever seen since I took a suit against the film The Neverending Story. And I, I was like, I, I saw that recently and I was like, that's actually brilliant. That's so clever because obviously, look, they're lampooning these kind of shitty car dealership 
lawyers that you see in the states, the kind of Saul Goodmans of the world, uh, who are like they're quite prevalent. So I, I, I spent a good bit of time in the US, and you'd see these late night TV ads for these absolute snake oil salesmen who claim to be these legal legal experts and they can know more present a case than they can tie their shoelaces uh but through whatever like you know whatever episode he's in lionel hutz is always the sort of is always one of the things you walk away from thinking i'm so glad lionel hutz was in that episode so like there's the thing where he's like you know your, your suit is exactly what i need to to solve my failing practice care to join me in a belt of scotch and they're like mr hutz is 9 a.m he's like it's okay i haven't slept in days like whatever whatever episodes he's in he there's always something that you can come away with and quote and i i find myself quoting him more often than perhaps i'd like to uh particularly with the uh i'd like to move for a bad trial thingy you mean a mistrial yes that's why i'm the judge and you're that's why that's why you're the judge and i'm the law talking guy you mean the lawyer yeah <laughs> Yeah, I think Little Hutz um, is someone that all law students can relate to somewhat or can look at and laugh. Um, I think my favourite bit of Lionel Hutz is, obviously there's the bits where he's incompetent, but I also love, to an extent, the kind of nefarious undertone that comes with him, <laughs> even though he's so incompetent. Like, you know, the, obviously the classic um, where he writes on the, the, the legal, on his um, business card, sorry, when he writes on his business card, um, and he changed. He adds all the punctuation yeah. to to change the, the total meaning of his card. <laughs> um, things like that, where you know, obviously there's the there's loads of lawyer characters in The Simpsons. Most prevalent, who we mentioned earlier, the blue-haired lawyer. Yeah. Um, who's Mr. Rogers' lawyer? And he's got a kind of a team of lawyers. And then um, I I I would probably say the blue-haired lawyer comes in more often than Lionel Hutz does. Lionel Hutz usually defends The Simpsons um, whenever they're in in trouble. But even though he's so incompetent and such a great character. He still has that kind of nefarious undertone that comes with lawyers on television. Yeah. And the fact they've managed to keep him keeps him kind of grounded as as at times a good lawyer. And when he does win the cases, it's always fantastic. Yeah. Like there's the cross examination about who he does, where he's like, you know, like you say you've got a great memory. Well, what colour is my tie? He's like, You were wearing a red and white striped tie. And then Hutz is there trying to tear it off before he turns around to try and disprove him. Uh <laughs> like is yeah, because it's it's that underhandedness that everyone assumes lawyers are these unethical monsters uh, who only care about the win uh, and he certainly feeds in, into that as well as again as I said that kind of slick uh, used cars, cars salesman version of a lawyer that is so prevalent in the states yeah I do think he's one of those characters as well that was probably could have been obviously it's a tragedy what happened to, to Hartman but um, I think what like what happened with the Simpsons um, obviously with so many characters becoming slanderized he's a character that could have very easily that could have happened to him and totally objectively it's quite good that he is only used sparingly um and that he only gets featured in a certain bit of episode you know that his character is kind of protected and kept as one of those characters you go oh brilliant Hutz is on and whenever Hutz is on in the simpsons um you always know it's a good episode or at least a fantastic moment in yeah. an episode you know yeah i think like the only time he gets a massive amount of screen time in an episode is when Marge becomes a real estate agent, mm-hmm. and he's not even a lawyer in that episode. He's moved on to become a real estate agent. But like, yeah, as you say, anytime he's in there, you know, it's it's a it's normally an indicator that this is one of the good episodes. Like most of the episodes from that period are good episodes. So, but it's always like if you if you turn on just a random episode of Simpsons and you see Hutz is in it, you're like, okay, I'm in for a good time. This is going to be a particularly good episode. Uh, even if you know, even if he's not in for that much, 
it just seems that whatever, whenever he's used by the writers, it's always an episode that they're bringing their game to. Uh, because it's surprising how much the Simpsons end up in court, uh, or end up in some version of a court, or needing his services throughout their the first ten seasons or so that he's that he shows up in. Yeah, but like, yeah, any time I I see him, I always know that I, I'm going to be in for a good good time, and I I find myself going back to a lot of his episodes, or even just looking at the 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 clips of the best moments of Lionel Hutz, like when when you need cheering up, because I think, uh, can you imagine a world without lawyers and its peace and happiness is still it was still one of the the funniest bits, uh, from that period of Simpsons. Yeah, absolutely, a hundred percent. I'll I think, um, while Rob maybe gets um the award for the most niche best character or favorite character rather when he he said uh roy obviously from the poochie episode i think you're probably getting the uh character i'm most likely to agree with as best character he's probably not my number one and my number one is still a secret uh, i haven't unveiled it just yet that's the 137th episode spectacular you reveal it in <laughs> absolutely <laughs> but um yeah he, he's a i'm a huge favorite of mine and i think a, an absolute fan favorite and i suppose um, I was talking to you in the break about it, and I said we said we'd save the the chat for for on air. Um, and it's something that we haven't actually touched on at all, um, really on the show so far. And I just wanted to to pick your brains a little bit about the Simpsons comic. Are you? Is it something that you you've read a lot of? It's not something I would have read a load of. I know I have a good few Simpsons comics from back in the day because they would have been sold at least in Ireland anyway. In kind of they would have been reprinted in kind of oversized magazine formats things, but normally two issue, two or three issues of the of the US stuff. Uh, they were published by a crowd called Bongo Comics, who are now defunct. Uh, so there's no Simpsons comics anymore. Uh, there used to be a staple of the Free Comic Book Day that normally happens the first Saturday in May every year. Uh, it didn't happen this year for obvious reasons. Uh, but you, there were Simpsons comics were there for a good. 10 15 years and they were quite they were still quite popular they were one of the the few comics you'd see inside the news agents uh both here and in in the US uh, and you'd often get from my understanding at least uh, cuz I, I said I have a few of them I think I had one graphic novel that I would have got that was a Bart cuz they they had their main Simpsons comics and they had Bart Simpson spin-off comics uh they later went on to do Futurama comics as well uh, so I might I think I had one of the Bart ones, the first four issues of the Bart series. Uh, and they were normally just like, they're all kind of done in one comedic stuff. Usually they would have been uh, some of the more rejected episodes that were turned into comics. Uh, so like I know one that I remember clearly was there is the failed second appearance of Hank Scorpio, uh, which occurs where Homer is thrown in a jail uh, in some South American country. And Hank Scorpio is inside there already, uh, having been overthrown from his Globex Corporation. And over the course of the issue, the two help Hank get his get his groove back and get his corporation back. Uh, and I don't, I still don't think that Homer ends up with the with the Dallas Cowboys, but uh, he gets closer than he did originally. Uh, but that's one clearly I remember. Uh, I also remember that for their hundred issue that they did, they did a very meta-textual story where the Simpsons realise that there are comics being made about them because Bart finds a, a copy of Simpsons Comic 1 and Simpsons Comic 100 and they go to try and track down who's making these comics of them and why haven't they gotten their pay. 
Like, why, why aren't they getting royalties for these comics that are being made about them? Uh, and I think even before there was a cartoon crossover of Simpsons Futurama, there was a, a Simpsons Futurama crossover in the comics itself, where the Simpsons are still fictional characters in the Futurama universe, but they all come to life. Uh, and one of the jokes that I remember being quite good from them was that there's one page where they all get a, like like Fridos in the very first episode of Futurama. Uh, they all get assigned different jobs. Pooh, of course, gets put as a convenience store clerk, but he's highly depressed because the convenience store clerks in Futurama all have these bulletproof glass uh, suits that they walk around in, and and uh, Pooh's like, oh, this is like. I thought this was what I always wanted, but like, there's no human touch anymore. Where is the love? I mean, it's it's kind of bringing uh, PPE to a whole new level, isn't it? Exactly. Uh, I had a quick I had a quick look on Wikipedia just at the different comics that they've ran, and you're right. There's been a, a large one. They had Simpsons comics. They had three different runs of Batman. They did a quick run of Batman and Radioactive Man. They did a quick run of Krusty comics. They had one shot of Lisa comics. A long-running trios of horror series, and then a number of different Barts that they tried to to run, as well as a few one-shots. But uh, I mean, I'm just surprised at how much they managed to get out, and how many um how many strange things they got. With with just looking at the thing you said there, but when the Simpsons um discovered that they were having comics made about them, actually, kind of, I I haven't read that issue, but it, it it's very similar to the the Simpsons game that came out probably. I was just thinking about that, yeah. <laughs> At this stage, probably nearly 15 years ago, oh, I think, I'm guessing 2007, it was probably the same sort of time as the film. I think so, yeah, because so, it's a similar poster. Yeah, it, it's something, um, I know The Simpsons has kind of retrod its uh, themes uh, a lot, but yeah, I mean, comics is something I'd love to go into a little bit more. I'm sure there's probably absolute uh, diamonds in there. I'd say, similar to you, I probably have a few issues up in the attic and a few in my room here. I have a copy of the first issue, but I haven't opened it because it's sealed. Um, <laughs> I think it's I think it's it's one of those things that like we were talking about the Star Wars comics and the breaks that there's a lot of kind of strange ones. There's probably a lot of uh, absolute gems in there, and it's 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 definitely something something interesting um, to look at. Especially the ideas of the the episode premises that didn't get made. They're something that I'd love to see. I'm kind of glad. I, I assume the Hank Scorpio return was probably one of those pitches that didn't get made. It had and to be. They obviously they they obviously denied or were thinking of using him for the Simpsons movie in the place of uh, Rainier Wolfcastle. Or no, sorry, but it was Arnie, wasn't it? In the place of Arnie uh, as president. Um, but yeah, but the, but he, they didn't use him in the end. Yeah, the but the funniest thing they it's still it's still Al Brooks doing that voice, and it's still Al Brooks doing his uh do doing his his Hank Scorpio. It's just you know it's it's uh the the head of Epa, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It is. I'm, I'm. I'm almost sure it is the same actor, and I am 100 percent sure it's pretty much the same voice. It's a very, very well, uh, very well done scene. I actually had someone call me out because I, I didn't realize Schwarzenegger was the the president until I presumed it was Wolfcastle, um. So that's why I wanted to, yeah. to get that one in there as for whoever, actually a former guest if they're listening. <laughs> it's um. But yeah, the the comics. I mean, they're not the the most top quality comics and like you said i think as a kid most of the time i got mine because it came with a free bart gun or free you know um toy sellotaped onto the front of it they were um, like they were something weren't the beano like there was like mm-hmm. a lot of news agents a lot, most news agents would would carry say stuff like the marvel U- or dc uk uh reprints and stuff 
but not all of them. Like most, but most, mm-hmm. most, if there were if there were comics to be found in news agents or the local corner shop, it was normally the Beano, the Dandy, and so if you were lucky, and more often than not, you might find the Simpsons comics as well. Uh, and to, to be fair to them, like they were where a lot of like some top quality writers got their start. Uh, as far as I recall, Gail Simone, who is a very prominent comics writer these days uh so like the birds of prey movie that came out there in march that would have been based or at least a lot of the stuff around that uh, birds of prey would have been made famous by gail simone when she did her work and she wrote fat girl for years uh she wrote deadpool for a good while before deadpool was cool uh and the same with who else did you uh, red sonia she did a very celebrated run on red sonia uh, but her first comics were simpsons comics and that's where how she got her start in the industry. And apparently Bongo were very good for that, at getting writers and artists their first gigs in the industry, and they go on from there. Now, obviously, I would imagine that there was probably... I can only speculate how the creative side of things must have worked uh, in terms of getting... For the writers, getting getting scripts approved, making sure that they lined up with how we view those characters. Uh, but also, I think more so than the writers for the four artists who would have have to ape the house style of The Simpsons. Uh, like I'm sure a lot of them would have grown up or spent time knowing how to draw them. But like still, that like like it wouldn't have offered as much creative freedom as as another title per se. Uh, but but the the Bongo were known to be a good company and the people liked them and that they were they were ostensibly good to their creators. But then a couple of years ago, they just. Uh, they went the way of the road, or they went bankrupt as far if I recall. And it's a shame because again it was one of those things where they the Bongo free Simpsons comics on Free Comic Book Day were something that were a staple and they were kind of like they were one you could point to as ones that the kids would always go towards. And that might be their first someone's first comic. And if that's their, someone's first comic, then that might bring them back and they might read more comics. Uh, so I do think that something was lost when Bongo went. In fact, there aren't Simpsons comics because look, Simpsons don't have the same cultural resonance with this generation as they would have had with uh, our generation. People who grew up watching those first, those first ten seasons. But I go as far as see, I go as far as the behind the laughter episode. That's for me when I think Simpsons changes properly. I because I, I think that behind the laughter episode is actually quite good. Uh, but but I think but I think and but I I and I, but even still even though that there wasn't that that same cultural cachet there was still a love of the Simpsons comics people like they they were good people gravitated towards them so I think that we are probably that that, that Bongo was missed certainly in that regard. Yeah, like, I just had a quick look there uh, on the Simpsons wiki um, at the different comics that were released, and some of the covers are fantastic. You know, and they, obviously when you're gravitating towards kids, you have to have a, a good cover to, to get people looking at it. Um, but I mean, even just the way they use different characters, it's something you don't see in the show. Parodies of like those um, just for dummies books and things like that. Yeah. And just putting characters in situations you wouldn't necessarily be able to put them in. Um, if you were trying to have it as a twenty-two minute show. It's just obviously a one-off, a one-off cover. Some some really good part like Bart as as Grease and things like this. But anyway, it's not exactly an audio or a vis- an audio feature, <laughs> uh, more of a visual medium to be showing off some comics covers. But like you say, I think those Simpsons comics probably do have a, a nice place in Simpsons lore. And 
to be fair, a lot of the stories are probably much better than some of the more recent episodes that are being made. I mean, I remember certainly enjoying that Hank Hank Scorpio one, if not just for the warm fuzzies of seeing the CEO of Globex Corporation once more. Yeah, I suppose, like like you said, Hank Scorpio and characters that coming back, there's obviously an opposite, uh, an after, (coughs) and And with characters like Hank Scorpio coming back, there's obviously an appetite of sorts to bring people like that back, um, and bringing them back in comic form, which... Not that there is really a, a canon of The Simpsons, but in something that won't disrupt the narrative in the same way, probably feeds that appetite somewhat without doing the characters a disservice. Because to be honest, I haven't actually known Hank Scorpio will come back in uh, in five one. That's something I'm going to definitely search out. But um, I suppose with that, Gary, it's been a fantastic chat. I've had you on for over an hour now between the break and the actual show. Um, before we go, is there anything you want to shout out? Yeah, uh, people want to check out uh, my comics. Uh, they can find me on Twitter. I'm M underscore Garrod. Uh, but if they find it easier, they can look up LimitBreakComics.com, which is the uh, comic uh, collective that I'm a part of with Garrett Luby and Paul Carroll. Uh, we're not a publisher per se. We just are a trio of creators who help each other out, uh, read over each other's stuff, and, pr- and promote each other's stuff as well. Uh, you can find my, my own books, some, some short stories there, uh, for free or whatever, and uh, yeah, yeah, just check out comics, check out Limbray comics, and just generally uh, check out Irish comics. Uh, comic shops, in particular, have been hit pretty badly over the lockdown. Uh, there was months where they couldn't get fresh stock. Uh, they obviously were subject to the same restrictions as bookshops and other stuff, so they couldn't open. Uh, so there are a lot of good, good local comic book shops around the place in Cork, in Dublin, in Limerick, in Galway. Uh, if you're ever been interested in comics, or you like comics, uh, go into those shops. If you're just a fan of, say, certain characters, if you go in and tell them, tell the people who are working inside, inside there what sort of stuff you like, what TV shows they're like, they can help you find a comic that's that's like that. And if you like it, that can be the doorway to an entire different medium you never even knew about. So, yeah, just like go in there and try and support Irish comics in all its different forms. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a really great insight and a great medium that probably doesn't get enough kind of widespread support. And it's it people can maybe be a little bit intimidated. So, a hundred percent, I I got a at a read of Gary's stuff. Uh, not all of it yet, but a good chunk of it. And I I have to say, I'm not just saying it because I really did enjoy a lot of them. And a good few of them are available on your Twitter and like you said online at, at Limit Break Comics. So I can implore anyone who's who's listening, please do check it out because there's some fantastic stuff. And um. I suppose with that, thanks to everyone for listening. Um, another episode out on Friday. It's been great. We're available on Instagram and Twitter at Simpsons Show IE. And uh, yeah, thanks a million. Make sure to leave a review on iTunes if you remember. Cheers. Whoa, that's a good squishy young.